Super Talk Mississippi media production. I'll pre record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Eagle Hour as we start a new week of sports talk here on Super Talk Mississippi. Glad you're with us wherever you're tuned in around the state or online this afternoon. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. Kelly Sander will be joining us later in the show. And in just a couple of moments, we're going to be bringing on uh, now Henderson State football coach, former Golden Eagle Cameron O'Neill. Look forward to that conversation with Coach O'Neill. All right, first segment of the show as we kick off a new week, sponsored by Dickey's Barbecue Pit, our proud friends and great supporters. Uh, We really do appreciate Dickey's a great deal. Hope that you'll uh, enjoy their delicious food. They cook it seven days a week. You can get the drive-thru. You can get delivered to your home. You can eat in the dining room. However you decide to eat it, we guarantee that Dickie's Barbecue uh, will be a treat for you and your family, and uh, we thank them very much for their support of the Eagle Hour. All right, our first guest today was a safety and defensive back for the Golden Eagles from 2007 through 2011, named the 2011 permanent team captain. Looking forward to asking him about that is now the uh, defensive back coach, uh, secondary coach at Henderson State University. We're very happy to have Cameron O'Neill on the Eagle Hour. And Coach O'Neill, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Henderson State, I've got a very a lifelong friend from up in North Mississippi that went to Henderson State, so I know all about the Reddies, and okay. uh, I know exactly where you're located. And how did you, how'd you end up there, Coach? Uh, actually, um, once I finished up at Birmingham Southern um, in, in 2019, I think it was a call. Uh, our defensive line coach from Southern Miss, Deke Adams, actually worked for uh, the head coach here now, Scott Maxfield, and they needed a DB coach, and he put my name in the hat for it and gave me a call, and, and the rest was history. I took the job within a month and been here since August. Coach, how much of that uh, within your profession – how how much of, uh, of of landing coaching jobs and and moving up the ladder, so to speak, is a result of personal connections and friendships within the coaching fraternity? Um, I think that's what this profession is built on: is relationships. Um, a lot of that is is who you know and and how you know them, and that gets you in the door. And I think what helps you keep the job is what you know, um, and being under some really good coaching staffs and. And some really good coaches. I think that's what helps you continue to grow in the profession. Right now, uh, your 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 second year there. Uh, give our listeners a little idea about the league you guys play in and and who you compete against. Um, so the league we play in is uh, in the GAC. Um, it used to be uh, it used to be affiliates of the Gulf South Conference um, with West Alabama and Delta State, and and with the travel restrictions. There was no possible way for those teams to kind of get back after a game in in a decent hour and grade film and, and be ready for practice. So they created the GAC 
um, about 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And in this league now is us, Henderson State, um, Arkansas Tech, uh, Harding University, um, Arkansas Monticello, um, and also you have some teams out of Oklahoma, Oklahoma Baptist, Southwest Oklahoma, Northwest Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a team of about 11 teams. It's a league of about 11 teams, and we play an 11-game schedule, all conference games. Right. Now, you're a guy that's played, obviously, Division One football at a very high level. <laughs> the the level of, of competition, uh, I, I'm going to guess it's good in your league. I, I'm guessing kids play hard, give 100%, and it's very competitive. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think any any opportunity that a kid gets to to be competitive um, and get a chance to win and compete at a high level, they're gonna they're gonna play um, at the highest level they can, um, and I think that's just that's just ingrained in any football player that gets the opportunity to play. Um, you get a chance to showcase your skills and and play at a high level. You want to do that, right? Luke Johnson, meet Cameron O'Neill, Coach Cameron O'Neill. Cameron, uh, we had some of my teammates were were seniors when you came along. I used to I played with guys like Gerald McGrath and Britt mm-hmm. Barefoot, and I went to high school together. So you know a lot of those guys. You, uh, we've talked to we talked to Snowman last week. Uh, we've talked to several of, of your teammates, and they talked about the transition between Jeff Bauer and Larry Fedora. I may get to that later. I want to I want to talk about. How big of a deal was it for you after you left Southern Miss? You're able to follow Larry Fedora to an ACC school where you were GA at Chapel Hill for the University of North Carolina for a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, how, that was a, how how did that, that help was, you? Is what you're doing now? Uh, that was a very interesting transition um, from a player to the coach aspect. Um, but I, I will say, with with Coach Fedora. The, the mission stayed the same from a player to the transition of a coach and seeing him and sitting around the table with him, his, his mission never changed. Um, only thing that changed about him, it was still smart, fast, and physical. Um, I think the only thing that changed was the, co- the colors of the uniform. Um, he was still on his day-to-day mission. And I think the thing is that we, we try to look at um, as players at all, the coaches don't know, the coaches don't know, and then you're sitting around the table. They knew the whole time <laughs> what we were doing, where we yeah. where we were at. Um, sometimes they would allow us to do it and and, and not cause cause a scene. But a lot of times they knew everything that we were doing, um, which which is great to have a, a coaching staff that knows, but also are willing to allow you guys to have fun and enjoy themselves through their college experience. I was, uh, you know, we were intrigued last week because I didn't play for Coach Fedora. I, I talked to him a few times, but you know, the kind of the perception was he ca- he came out of the Big Twelve, and uh, you know, in the Big Twelve, we'll beat you fifty six forty eight in triple overtime, and defense really wasn't emphasized. <laughs> One of your former teammates last week talked about how much he did emphasize it, even if the fan base couldn't perceive it. What was it like coaching defense uh, for a Larry Fedora uh, coach team? Uh, condition. Uh, you had to make sure you were in condition. Um, but a lot of that, and like like they said, um, he he harped on defense a a lot because they knew it only could be one stop. If we could get one stop, we knew that they were going to score. Now it's a now it's a who has the ball last type of situation. 
but what we took the challenge upon ourselves was, and I think the defensive staff did a great job with us, is giving us the competition of, hey, let's go score ourselves. Um, let's get the ball back, not only take the ball away, but let's go score. Let's score, let's score touchdowns on interceptions. Let's scoop and score. Let's cause fumbles. Let's call takeaways. And with us harping on that each and every day, I think that changed our mindset and, and brought back a nasty bunch mentality uh, that they haven't seen in a long time. Hmm. Coach, you were named permanent team captain in 2011. From a perspective of a football player, what did that mean to you? I, I bet it meant a lot. Uh, yeah, um, I think every every team – um, any any of those players would say it's, it's a really big honor to have that um, to have that attribute to your name. Um, but I would say that whole team um, they took pride in, in whatever role that they had, whether it was defense, offense, or special teams. And and we looked at it as as a special teams player um, like myself. I took pride in it. Um, that was another opportunity for me to make a play, another opportunity for to get on the field. Um, and I think everybody's mindset was that way, and I think that's what uh, contributed to a lot of our success. Now, you were recruited, though, by the Jeff Bauer staff. Absolutely. Uh, we, we've asked a, a lot of players this. that you, you, come, you come from Alabama to Southern Miss. You're recruited by Coach X, and you're settling into the program. At the end of the first year, those coaches are gone. That mm-hmm. has to be pretty tough. Yeah, um, I, I think that was a really uh, gut-wrenching experience just because you hear about those things um, as a as an incoming freshman or you hear about those things um, from an outside perspective looking in, but you're like, oh, that would never happen to us. And that was really a, a kick in the stomach for us and just sitting back, hey, do we transfer? Are, are these new coaches going to allow us to get on the field? And, you know, do we make our stance? Like, what, what do we do from here? Um, and I think with that coaching staff that Coach Fedor brought in and, and – he made sure that we were able to build relationships with those guys, mm-hmm. um, let alone us already knowing, hey, we're not their guys, we're not their recruiting class, but he made it feel as if, hey, this is your team. Um, we want to make sure that you guys understand, hey, we're, we're in this together. This is not player versus coach or our recruiting class against this recruiting class. Um, because we built Coach Bauer did a great job with all of us. Uh, we had, we had some SEC talent on those teams that he brought in with our freshman class, and uh, like I said, it was it was really tough for us. But I think the transition with Coach Fedor and his staff made it a lot easier for us to to fall in love with them and, and to bring in the right people. We're talking to former Southern Miss safety and defensive back and team captain Cameron O'Neill, now the secondary coach at Henderson State University. Going to continue our conversation with Coach O'Neill on the other side of the break. Will there be football in the fall of 2020? We'll see what Coach O'Neill says about Henderson State University next. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Welcome back. Glad you're with us to kick off a new week on the Eagle Hour. This segment is sponsored by Campus Bookmart and CampusBookmart.net. Our good friends down on Hardy Street. They're open Monday through Saturday. You can shop inside the store again. 
and that's where you'll find the biggest selection of Southern Miss apparel and accessories anywhere. Or you can go online to campusbookmart.net, pick out your apparel. Their whole inventory is there and have it delivered right to your front door. We thank them very much for their support. Also want to recognize DBAT and D1 state-of-the-art brand-new athletic training facilities here in Hattiesburg, of course, for the general public. DBAT specializing in baseball and softball training for uh, people of all age. You've got a kid in your family that aspires to be good in baseball or softball. That's where you want to take them. Uh, For all of you athletes, though, D1 provides training for every sport. They're located on Hardy Street in the O'Getty's Pizza Building. And uh, when you go by, tell them that you heard about them on the Eagle Hour. We're talking to Cameron O'Neill, defensive back coach at Henderson State University. All right, Coach, I want to read a couple things to you I picked up this morning on my way in. Uh, The Ivy League uh, meeting Wednesday, the athletic directors, sports writers say there is a 98% chance the Ivy League is going to move its football season back to the spring And then a big name in college football coaching, Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, quoted this weekend as saying that he just doesn't see how they're going to play football in the fall. He thinks spring football is a very doable situation. You told me off the air that at your university and in your league, the possibility of spring football is openly being discussed. Uh, Yes. Um, We we actually had our guys report today, uh, volunteer workouts and we did COVID testing um, early this morning for offense and defensive players. and uh, They are now in self-quarantine until we get results back. So, yes, we are actively waiting a decision. We're, we're close, closely watching the Ivy League uh, decision because we know a lot of those schools and conferences are going to try to follow suit uh, with the Ivy League. So, as, as Lincoln Riley says that we're going <laughs> to that we could play in the spring, it's a strong possibility we could play in the spring. How would that work, Coach? Have you, have you guys had any time to sit down and discuss logistically when that would start, how many games you would play, et cetera? Well, we, we've discussed it with our league um, on numerous occasions, and our head coach is, is constantly on phone calls um, with the league and with other teams in the league. They've already gave us – we usually play an 11-game schedule. They've cut that back to 10 um, and also just to try to make sure every team is following the same guidelines. But there are other conversations as far as travel, uh, meals, um, housing, when, when we go to these different places that, that we're still kind of waiting on answers for. So we're kind of we're waiting on to see what the other leagues and stuff will do, and we kind of follow suit as we get the information here. Coach, just kind of like my grandmother used to say, she sometimes would say, this is just a big mess. It it is, isn't it, Coach? It is. It is. Luke? Coach, um, I just want to clarify, you're from Citronelle, Alabama. We had some people worried out there that you were actually from the the hometown of Jeff Kelly nearby Deer Park, but you're definitely a (laughs) Citronelle guy. I'm definitely a Citronelle guy. Um, I think Jeff Kelly would attest to that, Uh, me being his assistant coach for, for like six months at Fairland High School. What was it like working with with Jeff? Because here's the thing, you know, you you Jeff's had it pretty good. He was starting quarterback, University of Southern Mississippi. He got paid right at a hundred thousand dollars to throw no contact drills, 
uh, two days a week with the Seattle Seahawks. And then he just kind of goes down to Saraland, and Jim Harbaugh's come through there recruiting kids. That's a massive high school. Scott Crowley was with him, who was a deep snapper at Southern Miss. Absolutely. What was it like uh, coaching with the uh, the South Alabama superstar of Jeff Kelly? Well, you know what? With him being a Centennial High School grad and, and going to Sarah Land, and it was like a Southern Miss reunion. Uh, our defensive line coach was Eric Scott, who played at Southern Miss. Um, yeah. Coach, coach Crowley was a defensive coordinator, um, and, and Coach Coach Kelly was the head coach. And I'm like, hey, you know, let's go to Hattiesburg after the game on the weekend, and <laughs> and, and let's tailgate with the boys, and, and let's kick it up. But we had a really good time. Um, he's a great coach to work for. I think he is doing a great job with with evaluating talent and getting guys in and um and also putting those guys on a platform for them to get recruited at a high level. Would it surprise you if he, we he, told you the last he, time he was on the show coach he did the interview from a four-wheeler out in the middle of a uh, field where he was hunting? That's not surprising at all. That's not surprising. That's not surprising at all. It's what you do when you're from Deer Park, Alabama. That's that. You know that, Cameron. That's that's par, par for the course. I did want to ask you this: um, your first year at Southern Miss, uh, Jay Hobson was the defensive coordinator. Uh, of course, he came back. He came back my senior year from Ole Miss and was the D coordinator mm-hmm. for three years. You see him now as the head coach at Southern Miss. What was it like uh, playing in that type of defense, and how did that affect? you for how you coach defense now uh, I want to say he, he really influenced a lot of what I do now with at an early age um, just the way he commanded a room um, and allow allowed the freestyle of defense and the way we play it the way I call it now and the way um, he called it then and just seeing guys like Gerald McGrath and, and Brandon Summerall regurgitate those things that he that he's told them. And the first thing he said to me was, hey, everybody, you know, hop, love you, babe. You know, I, I love everything about you, Cam. You know, I'm glad you're on the defense. I'm like, man, I love playing for this guy. You know, he loves me. And, um, <laughs> and he's, the, he's, the same, he's the same way today. And when we go down to Hattiesburg to visit family and, and friends, um, I, I stop by and, and, and it's the same love. It's, hey, babe, how you been? You know, I love you, babe. I stop by at a time, babe. That's it. That's a great name. <laughs> That's a great. That's a great impersonation of him, by the way. <laughs> hey, give us a couple. Give us a couple hops and lines there. Go ahead, uh, finish that oh, up, Cameron. Man, some hops and lines. It's been a while. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if I can give you anything, man. It's been a while since I, I've heard of. Wait, wait, but you, you, you've got camera, it down pat. Camera, baby. Camera, baby. Just hey, hey, hey. back up a little bit, baby. And listen, baby. We're hey, going hey, to do I'm, it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Come here. Come here. Give me 10. Give me 10. Get on that ground. Come on, baby. You know, you, when when I was a I senior, you, we did skit night. I'm sure y'all did skit night in two-a-days. And I roasted Absolutely. the coaches because everything was, was uh, uh, legal to do on that night. I took a picture of Coach Hop, and, that's, and, and I, that old dancing baby, viral dancing baby with the black background, I imposed yeah. Hop's head on that baby. And Lachelle Pollard almost <laughs> fell down and had a seizure because he was laughing so hard. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we rode Coach Hop on that for, forever. But Cameron, I mean, that's what it means to be a part of the Southern Miss family, doesn't it? That's it. That's it. And that's and that's the same thing for us, man. When I when I got there, uh, I call him David Hasselhoff, but Coach Butler, Randy Butler, is the guy that recruited me. Yeah. 
And man, he looked just like David Hasselhoff. And I, I called him Baywatch all the time I seen him. I was like, man, that's the guy from Baywatch. And we laugh about it to this day, but those are the friendships and the lifelong relationships that you build um, through recruiting and, and, and through going back and seeing those guys and you're catching up and it's, it's like you never left. Right. All right, Cameron, take us back. we got a couple minutes left. Uh, you had a great career at Southern Miss, but what is the night or the afternoon or the game that jumps out in your mind first when you think about playing football here? Oh, man. <laughs> Conference championship game, Houston. At right. Houston. Right. Um, a, a team that nobody thought that we could beat. Um, they were ranked top ten in the country. Um supposed to get a BSC bid and I'm sorry BCS bid and and we just we went in with no doubt in our mind that we were going to win that football game uh every commentator news anchor was like hey I'm going with Houston I'm going with Houston and we we basically doing what we do now we quarantined and put ourselves in a bubble and said the only people that's going to battle are the people in this room and and let's make sure they don't leave until we let them leave and that's the mindset we, we took into that game to win that game. And I got to tell you, my, my two fondest memories of that, uh, when the game was just about to start, we had watched all the pregame show. I remember my wife looking at me and going, are, are we playing in the game or is it just Houston? <laughs> and then later in the game, about middle ways through the third quarter, when they put the camera on a Houston co-ed and you could read her lips perfectly and she was going, What's going on? And I screamed at the TV, you're getting your blank kicked. That's what's going on. Hey, Cameron, great conversation with you, my friend. Uh, we've really enjoyed Likewise. enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for all the contributions you made at Southern Miss. And the best of luck to you and the Reddies. Uh, I always check and see how you guys are doing due to my good friend Buster, and I'll certainly be doing that more now that I know you're there. Thank you guys for having me on the show. All right. Cameron O'Neill, everybody, former team captain for the Golden Eagles, safety and defensive back from 2007 through 2011. Luke, I'll bet you agree that that's one of the best conversations we've had uh, with a former player. And we, we have a lot of good ones on this show, but uh, hard to beat uh, Cameron O'Neill. And the Coach Hobson impersonation just probably put him in the top five guests. Right I think there. so. I mean, that was that was classic. He's right up there with some of the baseball guys and their quirky imitations. That was uh, that, that was right on Cameron O'Neill. We appreciate it was that. Good. All right, Kelly Sanders next. Lots to discuss as the uh, uncertainty about football just swirls everywhere. We'll be right back. Southern Miss to the top. Thanks to Cameron O'Neill for joining us, former defensive back for 
from Southern Miss uh, for from uh, 2007 to 2011. Now coaching the secondary at Henderson State in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, the home of the Reddies. Appreciate his time. On the Eagle Hour, Luke and Bob from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. Thank you for joining us. And the third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located on 4th Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Bob, just a general uh, observation. Deer Park, Alabama has a population of 188 people. Cameron O'Neill clarifying with us that he is not counted in that census. <laughs> it was just a great interview. No question about it. Good interview. Good conversation. Kelly John Sander joins us. And, uh, Kelly, um, just kind of a chilling Monday for you, huh? Yeah, back from uh, Atlanta and uh, Nashville as part of the 4th of July holiday. But looking forward to the baseball season. But looking over all the major league reports this morning, uh, generally just about every team, you guys, is reporting anywhere from two to four players having tested positive uh, for COVID. The Milwaukee Brewers, it looks like, is the only team that doesn't currently have uh, any current testing that are positive, but they've had some players test positive in the past month, so they're kind of winding up their their quarantine. But most teams will say that they're they're not going to be at their regular full-strength roster uh, between positive COVID tests and some players opting out. Of course, the most notable, David Price, the great left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers, has now opted out of the season. He is not going to play this year, which was their right. You know, uh, players had that right to be able to sit out the season. Uh, But just about every team saying that, you know, about four players. So some of the rosters that they will put out there on the opening day lineup card might not be the roster that you see under normal circumstances. But it's just because of, um, again, the... And specifically, you talked about David Price opting out, Ryan Zimmerman opting out, Ian Desmond opting out, but two big ones for the Braves. You know, the Braves signed uh, King Felix in the offseason. Obviously, he's at the downside of his career, but he's opting out. But th- I thought this was real interesting, and, and I know probably several of our listeners, many of our listeners are, uh, are Braves fans. You know, Nick Morcakis, he, he opted out after talking to Freddie Freeman. And Freddie Freeman, uh, Morcakis is 36, Freeman's younger than him. But Freeman had a conversation with him because Freeman tested positive for COVID recently and talked to him about the symptoms he was facing. And the 36-year-old outfielder for the Braves said, I ain't going through with that. And so uh, he opted out. I thought that was pretty interesting that that decision came after talking to a major league player who had been through COVID-19. The, the problem with all of that is that the that those who have it, the 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 virus manifests itself in so many different ways. I mean, Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR great, seven-time NASCAR champion, tested positive and did not run yesterday uh, in the in the NASCAR race at Indianapolis. But he said he felt feels completely fine that he's had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. His wife also tested positive, but their children tested negative. Um, so you've got a, somebody like Jimmy Johnson who isn't feeling any, though he's positive, isn't feeling any discomfort at all. And then, of course, obviously some people have died from this. So it's just so hard. There's just no consistent um, way to be able to tell how it's going to affect you. So I guess in that case, you know, Marquecas just said, "Look, I, you know, the only 
winning move is not to play, so I'm you know going to sit out. So, but that was that was their right to do that. But um, we'll see how it goes. But it, it certainly doesn't look like things are getting any better anytime soon. All right, Kelly. Uh, over thirty-one thousand cases. Thirty-one thousand cases in Mississippi now. Over eleven hundred deaths. The highest number of hospitalizations since this all started. Uh, now recorded. The highest number of patients in ICU since this started. The Ivy League Wednesday announcing uh, whether it's going to move its football season back to the spring. And reports indicate there's a 98% chance they are. Cameron O'Neill said the the league that Henderson State plays in is looking very closely uh, this week to see what the Ivy League does. How big a how big a step will that be if this league? Does in fact move its season back to the spring? Well, it gives it gives other leagues the precedent. All right, then then say, well, we're just we're just doing what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, on, on the high school level, you know, and the state junior colleges are supposed to report August first, and we've heard nothing you know changing as far as that goes. But as more and more of these leagues decide to to kick it to the spring. Uh, it will legitimize that possibility, you know, with other groups, whether it be high school or the junior colleges, to to do the same. Um, William Carey University in in Hattiesburg, uh, part of the NAIA, uh, they've they've been told, of course, William Carey very close to us here at, at Super Talk, that uh, that all of their fall sports are going to be are going to be shut down, and that, that basketball. May not, may not even get to play a game until January 1, which, you know, basketball season usually starts in, what, very late October? Right. Um, but now it looks like they're not even going to begin. They're going to, it looks like they're going to play a condensed basketball season, not even playing the first games until after the first of the year. So as more and more of this takes place, it's, it's going to be, make it easier for teams who might not, uh, uh, have wanted to decide otherwise to do exactly that to move everything to to the spring. They got a coach from one I think is fair to say one of the top five programs in the country, uh, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, uh, quoted this weekend as saying he thinks spring football is doable and logical. So, h- how much does a coach of that stature speaking out push the ball in that direction? Well, it certainly doesn't hurt. I mean, he'd be one of the guys that you'd want on your side. Uh, if that was, you know, one of the other ideas that that they're floating around for the fall is maybe playing games every other week. I don't know. I don't know what necessarily that how that helps things. Um, but as far as players potentially testing positive or teams that that you're that you're potentially playing, um, you know people going in and out of quarantine and things like that. It seems like a, just a real mess to me. Uh, and, and of the games that you already have scheduled, who would you play? Who would you not play? Mm-hmm. So it certainly would be a lot less messy and give you some more time to figure out exactly the logistics of everything by moving it to the spring. But then what do you do with baseball? I mean, logically, if you move football to the spring, uh, would you move baseball to the fall? Or as Luke mentioned last week on the show, would you play them concurrently? But then you also have basketball to take into effect because <laughs> basketball, you know, has a winter spring carryover. Right. <laughs> could, so, be, could be some interesting tailgating. <laughs> I, 
I'll tell you what, you'd have to be you'd have to be three mm-hmm. people to get to any one of the sporting <laughs> events in the in the spring. If that's the way if that's the way it comes down, but I'll be interested big, to see. Big question. Yeah. Ser- serious question, Kelly. Yeah. Why do we think if we're looking at a second wave in August, why is everybody hinging their bets on the spring because that's right in the middle of normal flu season. Plus, what's COVID nineteen going to do during the winter this time? I just see like everybody's like, "Well, the spring it'll just get better, dude." It's not okay in the summer because we were told that this virus didn't like the heat, right? So, I mean, all these plans that people are placing the, their bets on the spring, you're going to get there and you're not going to have anything if if you have a second wave and if flu season is like normal, you're going to have sick people everywhere. That's certainly that's certainly a reasonable argument. It really is. But, but the only thing you know for sure is it ain't going to work in the next three or four weeks. I mean, that's the, only, that's the only thing you know for sure. Right. So people are truly hanging their hopes on the spring. But your point is well taken, Luke. Until there's a, until there's a vaccine or until we figure out a better way to be able to, to manage this or until Americans are willing to sit still and stay at home, which they apparently aren't willing to do, um, then you're right. We could we could be we could be talking about this next spring. The same thing. Well, Kelly, at one time you were forty sixty that there would be high school football. Forty percent yes, sixty percent no. As of today, where are you? Are you talking about in the fall? Yeah. Like normal, starting as normal. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm probably thirty-five, sixty-five against. Uh, so, so your your optimism has dropped even more. Yes, not. But but again, it, 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 but I was one of the the early ones that was saying we weren't going to have high school football. So you know, it's only my view's only been further entrenched a little bit. Um, if if they play this fall, I, I don't. I, the only way I can see them playing this fall is to play a condensed schedule, to start later in the year, and to get rid of the non-district games that we've talked about. Right. Um, that's the only way I can see them even potentially playing this fall, and then limiting crowds too. And I don't know how you would do that. Right. All right, when we come back, the Redskins and the Cleveland Indians are under fire. And lo and behold, I read an article this morning about Luke's beloved New Orleans Saints. Say this all ain't true. We're going to discuss it when we come back. Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Fourth segment Eagle Hour brought to you every day by Toyota of Hattiesburg, located on Highway 98 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You can go on their website, toyotahattiesburg.com, and you can always view their new pre-owned certified inventory. You can value your trade-in and even secure financing. When thinking of your next ride, go check out our friends at Toyota of Hattiesburg and let them help you with your next automobile, SUV, or truck 
purchase. Luke and Bob from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. A couple basketball notes, and uh, I was kind of lamenting during the during the break about how if basketball season is affected, you know, Southern Miss men's basketball this will probably be one of the best teams we've had in quite a while. And just our luck, it would be delayed. But the Lady Eagle all-decade team, Lady Eagle basketball, uh, all-decade team announced Brittany Dinkins, Jamira Faulkner, Shante Hales, uh, Tamara Jones, and Pauline Love, all members of that all-decade team. We talked to Miss Faulkner a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm glad to see Shante Hales uh, on that all-decade team. You have the opportunity to vote on the men's basketball all-decade team until this Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, I've got choices of about 10 guys, Tyree Griffin, Cortez Edwards, Ladavius Drain, Jonathan Mills, Neil Watson, some of the names on that. So you can go to southernmiss.com on the men's basketball page, and you have until 7 p.m. on Thursday. The results will be announced on Friday. Um, everybody's picking on the Saints, not only the uh, the referees in the NFL, Bob, but apparently culture now picking on the Houdats. Yeah, there's uh, some word out of New Orleans and an article uh, that was published over the weekend that the, uh, the longtime logo on the Saints' helmet and uniforms was at one time used to mark slaves hundreds of years ago, and there is for very insensitive to people and uh, – Lo and behold, surely to God, there's not going to be a movement to change that. Uh, President Trump tweeted 37 minutes ago, Kelly Center, the Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians named teams out of strength, not weakness. But now the Redskins and Indians, two fabled sports franchise, look like they're going to be changing their names in order to be politically correct. Indians like Elizabeth Warren must be very angry. Right now. So it's the Redskins, it's the Indians under attack, and, and now maybe even the Saints. Kelly Sander, where, where does this stop? As soon as somebody says, we're not, we're not going to do it. Right. I mean, and, and of course, what do we, we talk about that everything comes down to? Money. Comes down to money. Right. Right? And um, so you can certainly say and this this might be a slight you know slightly controversial what i'm about to say but cuz we we've, we've talked about the mississippi flag before in efforts to change the mississippi flag but the timing of the mississippi flag you know the vote coming up immediately after you know the sec says they're not going to have any you know tournaments uh in in mississippi um, you could certainly say that that there was a, that there was a financial aspect to that move as well. Um, but until, and, and the Atlanta Braves, by the way, uh, in, in all of this discussion, the Atlanta Braves said there's no way, there's no way they're going to change their name. Um, of course, when you say something like that, all that does is draw the ire. Of the, oh, really? No way? Well, what about, what if we do this? What if we do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what that's when it'll stop is when when somebody finally says no we're we're, we're not gonna. Isn't this corporate blackmail on the part of Nike and Pepsi and FedEx and people like that that go to a privately owned business and say, look, if you don't do what we want you to do, then you know we're gone. I mean, is that not in a sense corporate blackmail? Well, you can you can say that, but the, but the answer could be well, they're they're free to not do what Nike wants them to do, mm-hmm. but there will be consequences. Mm-hmm. And usually 
in what form are those conse- do those consequences come? Money. Well, well, so so maybe what we should do is is just get all the big sponsors that sponsor NFL teams together and let them tell all of us what names are good and what names aren't and what they want the Vikings to be called. And what about the Buccaneers? My gosh, they just rampage through the Gulf of Mexico, stealing and killing. Maybe maybe we should change that name too. Am I right? Well, the Viking the, the Vikings too. Right, right. Kind of the the bad boys of the of the Norse. Right. You know, of, of Scandinavia. So, I mean, yeah, it just depends on how far you just you want to carry this out. <laughs> Ironically, um, nobody has asked the Bengals to change their name because there's nothing tough at all. <laughs> About the Bengals. And, Luke, surely the New Orleans Saints are not going to give up their longtime logo over this craziness. Uh, they won't. They won't at all. Um, breaking news out of the NFL, guys, and, and we can unpack this more tomorrow. Dak Prescott has officially missed his window because the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have now reached a 10, count them, 10-year contract extension that makes him a Kansas City Chief until 2031. Hmm. Speaking of names, that Chiefs name makes me a little uncomfortable, guys, so we may have to... We may have to revisit that uh, in the weeks to come. Hey, Kelly, we're glad you're back uh, from your long journey, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow, brother. I always do. Thanks, guys. Until then, Southern Miss. To to the the top. top. Mississippi Media Production.